Hi guys, KO here. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution. I'm so excited today. We are welcoming NQ to the mic, and this is the second of our TNT Creatives series. NQ is in a, an award-winning poet, a multi-platinum songwriter, a best-selling author, and he's even one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 thought leaders. This is an amazing conversation. NQ is an awesome guy that is a creator on a mission, and he's sharing his good words. Stick all the way into the end when he shares an amazing poem that will move you. Don't forget to like and subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as our YouTube channel. Videos coming at you. Have a great day. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. All right, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I'm super excited today. We have a connective connect. And if you listen to Turmeric and Tequila, you know that is my favorite thing. Today, we are welcoming NQ to the mic. We have recently launched uh, TNT Creatives, where we are highlighting our creative individuals to complement the TNT open mics, where we talk about all things equality and diversity and inclusion. So our creatives are the ones that are bringing the unity to the table with their art, their passion, whatever their creative force is, that is the universal language. So we are bringing NQ to the mic. He is an award-winning poet, a multi-platinum songwriter, writer, a best-selling author of Inquire Within, which is a new book. We're going to talk about that. And he is also one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 thought leaders. We're, we're going to unpack that. I'm guessing a lot of people uh, ask about Oprah. But without further ado, NQ, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Kristen. Yeah, I we like to get to know the human before the the art and kind of your journey of how you got to where you are today. So give us a little bit of background on who you are and where you came from. Yeah, so the overview is that I was born and raised in Santa Monica to uh, a single mother who was a teacher. So my father obviously wasn't around at all. And I fell in love with hip hop when I was a teenager. And so I started freestyling with my friends and writing verses and making songs in people's basements or attics um, in their closets, you know, just anywhere I could get something uh, created and into the world. And um, and then when I was probably 19, I wound up in an open mic for poets in Los Angeles called the Poetry Lounge. And we didn't know this at the time, but it turned out to be one of, if not the largest open mics in the country. So we were having 250, 350 people pack into this tiny little theater to the point where there would be a poet in the center and people would be sitting around them, you know, looking up like a uh, story time. And uh, I just loved the environment so much. And I just got up on stage after I signed up on the list and I started doing my rapping acapella and people responded to it and the community really welcomed me in. And so I just went back week after week after week. And uh, eventually we had a team that won the National Poetry Slam Championships together and uh, people from my generation. We were all on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam together. And one day I kind of woke up and realized that I was more of a poet than an MC. And that was the beginning of the poetic journey. Um, that's that's crazy. Just so I know what kind of or where you came in on the, on the hip hop scene, who, who was like your initial like hip hop group or artist that really inspired you? Well, the initial thing was actually Will Smith, which what? is really funny. But I was a kid, you know, and um, Will Smith came out with parents just don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, my mom's from Brooklyn and uh, we were out visiting family in New York. And I remember I just like begged her to take me to a Best Buy. I don't re even recall how old I was. I mean, I, I might not have even been double digits. And, and um, I just wanted this single, you know, the cassette. Her parents yeah. just don't understand. <laughs> so I got it. And I, I remember I put it into my cousin's boombox and I just listened yes. to it over and over and over again. And I literally would stop and start it and then write down all of the lyrics. And I eventually had the whole entire song written down. And I stayed in that room by myself for hours. And then I would play the whole thing and I would just rap it to uh, the song because there was something that was so relatable about that for me. I was like, yeah, you know, parents just don't <laughs> understand. <laughs> right, right. That's and, so uh, and then obviously my, uh, my hip hop taste expanded from there. So everyone from Tribe Called Quest to Nas to Dickable Planets. That's I, I think I've asked that question before. <laughs> I was yet to hear Will Smith. That is like original Will Smith. Um, if you said getting jiggy with her or something, I might have had a little side eye. But uh, well, if I fell in love with hip hop through getting jiggy with it, I had bigger problems. <laughs> no, this Will Smith. Will Smith, right. is a man. But uh, but that was that was not my entrance point. Um, his earlier stuff was. I love it. Yeah. Well, I mean, cheers to uh, versatility because that's he can cover all the bases and monetize it accordingly, even from heart space. Uh, but my original was Salt and Peppa. And I actually I had the cassette tape. So we got to be similar in age. Um, but that was my original. And we used to do the exact same thing. I remember seeing as one of my friends and listening to Whoop There It Is and writing it down line by line to to learn it. Um, there's only one line. It's just whoop there. I, no, there is. I mean, I'm not going to recite it, but I, to this day, when it comes on, like even at the gym, I know like the in-between and it's right. It, yeah. We're, we're dating ourselves, but you know, what's funny is, is that with salt and pepper, um, they did shoot, right? Uh, yes. But that was, so, that was later on. So I remember the other day I was trying to like gear myself up to do something. And I was like, I didn't really want to do it, but the reward of it was worth the effort. Okay. You know? Like I tend not to do things I don't want to do, but sometimes if there's something that I don't want to do, but I go, that's oh, worth doing. Yeah. Then I go, I'm going to do this. So it was one of those situations. And I was literally like sitting by myself. I was tying my shoes and I was like, All right, here I go. Like, here I go. <laughs> and I was like, here I go again. Yes. And then immediately I was like, girls, what's my weakness? Men. Okay, then. Okay, then. Chilling, chilling. Minding <laughs> my, my business. Just kind of looked around. <laughs> See? Yeah. The power of music and or hip hop and or poetry. I think you can label. It's all universal. It just it depends if there's like a beat in the background or not. Yeah, but it's interesting how many, you know, that that as a grown ass man, I'm 42 years old. Girls, what's my weakness? <laughs> Men. Okay, then. I mean, that was like, it was, it just came back to me. I love and, it. And um, makes me think of how many lyrics I have uh, stuck in the back of uh, my mind. It, well, I'm, I'm one of those, I think I'm undiagnosed dyslexic at some point. Cause I like, I'll be in the gym and I'll read numbers backwards and I'm just a slow reader, but I can process quickly. So it's a whole other podcast we can unpack, but it's funny how things you've known from like when you were young, like the rap portion of waterfalls from TLC or uh, from left, like you just, it's there. And it's when it's in there, it's in there. Does that impact you at all? Like with your poems, do you remember them all when you're reciting them? Yeah, I do. I mean, I have countless poems memorized. I think if I started like right now, and I just started to recite something. And then I ran the poems into each other, like uh, railroad tracks. Yeah, I could probably go for 
four hours plus. Really? Not that anyone would want to hear that or that I would even want to do that. But I have done experiments and I've gone over two hours just for my own uh, play and uh, as a poetic exercise. Um, cool. Okay. So, you know, it's just a muscle that I've built over the years. But if you took any MC that goes on stage and, you know, rhymes whatever, two hours out of the 10 albums that they've created in their career, if they took out the choruses or they took out the music mm -hmm. and they just put the songs together, you know, it, it's really unfathomable how many lyrics uh, artists have memorized. Yeah. So it, it doesn't to me seem like this uh, genius thing that I just had naturally. I think it's just something that I learned from practicing and, and from building that muscle over time. I mean, it's, it's absolutely a skill set. And I think there's got to be some sort of brain study that shows how it brain, uh, builds the um, neuropathways in your brain. And it, it, it just, it, it's something that you can facilitate and I think get better at, but it's still a skill nonetheless. Uh, perfect transition. I was watching your, uh, uh, I don't want to say stand up, but your performance live at the Ace Theater. Mm -hmm. And I loved how obviously we're going to discuss the human condition and how you pull in like passion and loss and love and all the things we go through as human beings. And I was watching you live and there's a couple of things I want to touch on, but I, I loved how it was like a very turmeric and tequila vibe. We're here to talk about human emotion and dig in. And then also we got some funny stories. We've got some comedy. We've got some F-bombs and some some cursing. Uh, is that kind of like a part of your passion play to keep it really real, but also like kind of swim in the deep end of the pool? I mean, it is, but it's also just who I am. You know, if it was strategic, but it wasn't authentic, I don't think people would relate to it. They would feel like it was put on. But yeah. this is who I am in normal conversation. I have to stop myself from cussing in normal conversation because uh, I am from a time and uh, a community that used it as emphasis. And I've never been in a hierarchy in terms of I never like I had interim period jobs for sure, many of them, as I was trying to figure out how to monetize what I love to do without losing my integrity. But I never got into a hierarchy, like a professional system. So um, even when people hire me now, I kind of come in and I'm a bit of a pirate. Sure. You know, like my, my personality never had to fit into anyone else's environment. I, I was never on someone else's time in that way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I get on stage, I like to just be myself. I like to add in humor and passion um, to break the tension. Because I think uh, a lot of the things that I'm talking about is, you know, very deep and very vulnerable or uh, makes people angry, makes people question themselves, their reality. And so if I don't use humor and I don't have crowd participation and I don't tell real stories about my own life, then I can come off preachy to people mm -hmm. or they can get overwhelmed and kind of turn off. And so I have to push and pull uh, the audience and myself when I'm creating longer sets. And I've certainly learned to do that. Uh, but I always try to start with who and where I am. 
Sure. And I, I think that's, um, it's transparent. And I, I talk about this the reason I, I'm a longtime entrepreneur and I, I strongly identify with you saying kind of like a pirate walking into a corporate situation and you don't necessarily fit the mold and more importantly, don't desire to, like, it's just not in the equipment. Um, and that's been a little bit of, of my journey as well. And I think the refreshing piece of that, of the experience you just shared, I think is applicable to artists. And uh, I talk with big companies like this is you can humanize your brand and let whatever it actually is be, even though if it's not this stereotypical situation, we've taught that it should be um, at this point. It always doesn't always need to be like this very trimmed and polished uh, piece of work or human or conversation. It can just be authentically whatever it actually is, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think people respond better to it. Mm-hmm. It's been my experience. I know it's a limited experience. It, you know, being a pirate, when I get hired to come in and do either shows or workshops or consulting, I'm an independent contractor. So for an independent contractor or an entrepreneur, sometimes you have the luxury of your non-traditional communication style being refreshing, Mm -hmm. where people are like, oh, but when you're in the system, it is harder to keep up with that every day for various reasons. And you have to navigate more people's personalities. Um, Familiarity can certainly breed Uh, resentment or miscommunication, all of that type of stuff. But what I will say is that people do respond, I think, in general, to authentic communication, to being real with people, to being vulnerable with them, even in environments where you wouldn't think it's appropriate. If you're vulnerable, oftentimes people will respond with vulnerability in their own lives. And it allows you guys to see each other and connect on a deeper level. And then that deeper connection allows you to communicate and collaborate uh, more easily. So I try to say to everybody, you know, test the boundaries a little bit and find more ways to truly be yourself, because I think that only helps uh, everything that you're working on in the working environment in general. Well said. Do you notice that younger people are more open-minded to that uh, versus, let's say, somebody like 40 plus? Well, I think younger people uh, have, if they are in a system, been in the system for less amounts of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I have this saying when you're younger, and I don't know that it's such an original saying, by the way, it's not like (laughs) this is the saying, but it it was a thought that I was kind of like, wrestling with the other day that when you when you're young you want to change the system you know everybody almost Mm -hmm. like universally when they're young they want to change the system and then when you grow up a little bit you become a part of the system and if you become a part of the system for too long without consciousness you become the system and so i think that Awareness around that is very important for us as individuals and us as a collective. Um, Just making sure that if you become a part of the system, you at least know that you're in the system and that your actions are making the system. Because when you fall asleep to that, then you just are the system. And so then the next generation that comes up of course, is like, we're going to revolutionize you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of take over that Will Smith's role of your parents to understand you become the parents. And it's like, whoa. 
I, I, well, you, you become, these kids just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have so much faith in our youth because I think those awareness conversations are happening earlier. And while, you know, media and I say, we say we have to be conscious consumers with meaning, you know, what we obviously put in our bodies, what we're consuming social media wise, what we're consuming as far as energy, like our friends and our family, all of it is impacting or what I would call the system. And if you're not careful on what you're consuming and taking in, as you said, you become whatever that is. Uh, and I think that's a really slippery slope. So you have to be really conscious on, on what you're taking in and, and what's around you. Absolutely. But I think our young humans have so much access to information for better and for worse. I think the combos are happening earlier. Um, Look, I'm a, I'm a realistic optimist. I believe in okay. the And uh, I believe that the future is good. We can bust into Whitney. I believe children are the future. Um, I, I really, I mean, of course, I mean, it's, it's, it's a real statement. The, the children are the future. You know, Seinfeld has this line where he's like, I know one thing about these babies. They're here to take our place. And it's true. We're on a conveyor belt of yeah. evolution. Yeah. But, um, but I also think we have to take responsibility for the future. Completely agree. Hashtag Botox right now. Um, tell us a little about... A keeping us young, keeping us mindful, vulnerability, buzzword nowadays, it's out there, Brene Brown made it cool. I know that I, as a wannabe artist, I'll say I'm a creator, but I, I don't know that I'd say um, anything like true art, maybe one day, but- Entrepreneurs before, are artists. What's that? 100%. Artist? Entrepreneurs are 100% artists. Okay, we'll go with that. I mean, as I've done like core value work and whatnot, number three was creativity. So it's high on the list. Um, so however you brand it, I'm here for the creative human in the mind. And I think that vulnerability piece, as you said early on, is kind of like the doorway to tapping into your true creative abilities but it's a hard door to walk through. And I, I really admire, I say the last people telling the truth are our children and comedians because you have to walk in and you step on the stage, you step in front of whoever, you know, kids don't really care, but community, people are out there and you're so vulnerable and you're in the spotlight. Did you do work or it sounds like you stepped on a stage at a young age, but did you do work or have an opportunity to get good at vulnerability? I mean, I think you get good at vulnerability by being vulnerable. I don't think that there's any other way to do it. I mean, you could go to courses or you could come up with exercises that would allow you to practice being vulnerable. Sure. But uh, the real way to get better at being vulnerable is to be vulnerable and see what happens. Um, I have a you know, philosophy that if you're vulnerable with someone and they're not vulnerable with you back, they're probably an asshole. Oh, okay. And then you just don't have to hang out with them anymore. So it's kind of like a shortcut to intimacy. Yeah. Uh, but I have practiced my vulnerability by being vulnerable through my art and, and through my life. I will say there's different levels to vulnerability for me. I think it's easier for me to tell vulnerability than it is to show vulnerability. Okay. Did that start as a, was that like comfortable in your house with your mom? Well, my mom is not only a teacher, but she's a writer as well. And okay. uh, since I didn't have any brothers or sisters in the house, I have brothers and sisters on my father's side that I uh, have never met. But in terms of just how I grew up, my mom always asked me how my day was and stuff like that. And we would always eat together and 
She was always very curious about what I thought and what I felt. Um, so uh, other than creating a, a bit of a narcissist, you know, uh, it, it ended up fueling my art and I think um, my ability to communicate with people. I think that's huge. It, it really does, I think, start, I mean, your skill set starts initially when you're a kiddo. And as you grow up, depending on your environment, your personality, you know, some environmental factors, you have to kind of learn those things. I had three younger brothers in vulnerability. We were all tough athletes and whatnot. Mm. That was not one of our things. And, and my mom was like very loving. So was my dad. My dad would cry. Like it wasn't one of those things, but being vulnerable to us, like when I think of that as a kid, it's like when you get kicked down on the lacrosse field, you don't get up. Like that's vulnerable to me. So you always got up. So I had to kind of like unpack things over time. And so to think as a young human to like stand in front of a class and, you know, share my feelings, share my poem. To me, that's admirable. That seems like a very hard thing to do. Well, I think that in certain areas, vulnerability is weakness. Yeah. You can't say that it's not. If you say that it's not, I don't think you're being in reality. There are areas where you don't want to be vulnerable. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve the situation. If I was going to war, I wouldn't want to be vulnerable while I was in battle. Um sure. But I think what ends up happening is, is that we in general view it as weakness. And then we're afraid to be honest with ourselves and with other people in environments that it could actually be really beneficial mm -hmm. uh, just because we're used to it and it's become habit or routine. Yeah. I think it's needed more than ever in 2021. We see all these dividing factors. And then when you start to pull back uh, these commonalities in the human experience, you're like, oh, you know this, you did this too. And we look nothing alike. We don't speak the same language. We don't even understand each other, but I can understand, you know, a parent's divorce or a broken leg or um, emotional trauma or whatever. Uh, I'm glad that these things are becoming again, more transparent. And we have things like podcasts to further messages and further the voice and, and reach a different, different audience. I, I love, I don't know if you've watched on your own podcast where you can see little downloads that happen all over the world. And mm -hmm. it's crazy to see like a download in Uganda. Um, um, or Japan. Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing. And I know you're all over the world anyways, but um, it's just kind of, it's always crazy for me to see things like in print or data come back. It's, it's just a very grounding situation. Uh, on that note, tell us about the podcast, like what inspired it? I know and we'll, we'll talk about the book as well, but how did, what, what made you excited to get on the mic kind of by, like behind a computer essentially? Well, first of all, I've done literally a hundred podcasts with other people. <laughs> And I've always really enjoyed them. Like I'm enjoying getting to know you now. What is another situation where you and I would sit down unless we were introduced where we could dive this deep. And when someone asks you a surprising question that makes you think so that you don't give like your normal standard answer, you discover something as well. And so I've always really enjoyed the process of uh, doing podcasts for other people. And everyone has always said, oh, you should do your own podcast. But I couldn't figure out what my angle would be. And then I realized I was thinking too hard. And uh, the thing that I'm most passionate about right now is poets and artists. So I decided I would do a podcast called Inquire Within, which is the same name as the book Inquire Within. And I would interview all of the best poets in the world and talk to them about their writing process, their childhood, how they became a poet, um, 
how they view standing on stage, what they think about what's going on in the world. And it's been absolutely incredible. We're on, I think our eighth or ninth episode. Oh, okay. We've literally gotten uh, all of the top people uh, to say yes. And we're a community, the poets, because it's a, a niche yeah. art form, fortunately and unfortunately. So we all know each other, but it's strange. You know, we don't often talk about the why behind the poems. Hmm. And so to really dive into that has been great. And we have people from all over the world that are tuning in. Um, people that are poets, people that are writers, people that are creatives, but also just people who are interested in um, what a poet's perspective on the world is. And we wind up going into all sorts of interesting areas. And so it's really fantastic. And I'm really enjoying it and excited for the future. I love it. I can absolutely agree that I started the podcast for certain reasons. And as I got it, we're almost to episode 100. And the experience for myself and the growth that I've experienced has just been exponential. And it's something I didn't expect. So I can completely uh, see how you're pulling in all these incredible humans with incredible voice and thoughts. And you get to record that and have a conversation. Uh, as you're recording them and you're getting to know these guys, is there one main through line that you've seen in eight episodes that you're like, oh, here's, I mean, besides being creatives and um, some obvious commonalities, is there one thing where you're like, I didn't know that is a really common binding agent between you all? I think we're all explorers externally and internally. And everyone that I've had on will always start with the truth. None of them are really strategic with their inspiration. I mean, in, in general, I think if, if you're too strategic with your inspiration, then it's manipulation. Yeah. And if you're manipulating your audience, you're manipulating yourself first. So everyone has kind of said that they just look around and pay attention to when they're inspired or angry or moved by something and they start the pieces from there. And in my experience, when you start a piece in a place of truth, the rest of the poem will almost write itself if you give it enough time and space. I'm a horrible painter, for example. So if I was to sit down at an empty canvas and try to come up with something, I would be overwhelmed by the choices. I'd be like, oh, infinite possibility. <laughs> But if I was to think about the last argument I had or the thing that I'm really passionate about supporting a cause in the world or think about the last time that I was sad about something and I started to paint from that place, I'm not saying it would be good, but it would be real because I would have a conceptual frame to start from. So I think most poets will always start with the truth. Yeah. I every major company out there looking to be successful and it's not all about business, but I think that's where everything's going. Thank goodness. And this is why creatives are so critically important. And even if big companies aren't listening, this is again, where I think our young humans are coming in and they can see through uh, to the truth faster. There's this transparency level that they have very early on and they will consume accordingly. And I just hope more and more creatives get involved in those professional monetized situations because the dollar is what makes the world go around. So I'm hoping there's some massive intersection of the two. And we have some really conscious people doing really conscious things, consuming and on the business side. It's um, very interesting. Literally in the last 
two months, I've had two creative consulting jobs oh, that I I'm on it. NDA for, so I can't even discuss them. But um, they've both been really, really incredible. And I've done countless things in my career from performing to facilitating workshops to being an author to uh, coaching to the podcast um, to a songwriter and blah, blah, blah. But creative consulting is a different thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not me looking at the information for a brand that I respect and I'm aligned with and then coming up with a poem and then having a, a branded piece of content. I've done that many, many times. This is actually me helping them come up with the narrative and trying to find the truth yep. and then build on that foundation uh, you know, in terms of how they interface with uh, the rest of the world and how they have awareness around it internally. And I've been surprised at um, how powerful and meaningful it's it's been for people. 100%. It, I have a little consulting agency, K Alliance, and exactly that. we have It's transitioned from create the story, build it, to r- dig in and reveal the truth, find out what's already there versus create this story. And I'm so glad to hear that from you. And there's people like you consulting because it's kind of what we should have been doing from the beginning, like mm-hmm. showing up authentic, being, you know, our real selves. But in our corporate company world, that's not really how it is. It's primed and polished and, and it's slowly breaking that wall down to humanize the brand. Um, but it, it's taken time. So I'm really glad to, to hear that. And I hope more of our creatives get these consulting opportunities, not only to monetize their situation, but really to have their voice out there and help push the world in a positive direction, as cliche as that sounds. Um, I think that makes me sound like I'm not yet the parents in Will Smith song. I'm not sure, but maybe. I think you're doing good. Okay, good. I'm on your side. <laughs> I'm here for it. Um, all right. So tell us about uh, the book. You know, we've got the mic covered. We've got the special covered. What made it exciting for you to be like, all right, let's actually put pen to paper and, and print some things and put it out there. Well, um, I was trying to find a vehicle for all of these poems that were living in my head. I mean, we did the Amazon special, which was incredible. Um, But mostly I was like showing up speaking at corporate gigs or speaking at uh, events or speaking at public shows of my own. And then I would kind of disappear. So people would have this experience with my art, but it wasn't ever theirs. And I wanted to find a vehicle to make it theirs. And so that's, you know, uh, kind of the short way to say, then we went and got a book deal. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and we ended up signing with Harper One, which is HarperCollins like spiritual division. So awesome. they do The Alchemist and uh, Ram Das before he passed and um, Tish Nhat Han, and, you know, just people that I've been a fan of for years and kind of like greatly impacted by their work. So it was a perfect home and it was a great experience making the book. And I'm just so unbelievably proud of it. It's sitting next to me. So this is Inquire Within. Yeah. And if you look at it, it almost looks like it matches your background, by the way. It's the branding's right on point. I'm glad you planned that. Yeah, that worked out. So if you look at it, so it has the branches that mirror the roots. So when you turn it upside down, the roots become the branches. And the branches become the roots. But then when you turn it to the side, it's uh, lungs. Oh, yes. So that's why the two halves of the book are inhale and exhale. 
And okay. inhale is kind of the personal poems and stories about my journey and exhale is the social and political stuff. So it's truly change yourself, change the world. I love it. Do you look at it and you're like, I can't believe I did this. I mean, like, I know you've done all these great things, but is it just like this nice tangible thing? That's like an affirmation that you're on path or it, it, it feels like you're out here. Yeah. I mean, there's something really interesting about creating something physical in the world. Mm-hmm. Even though it came from my mind and my heart, it's it's here. Yeah. I can hold it. I can give it away. And I think I meant what I said. When other people have it, it's theirs. Yeah. You know, it's not mine anymore. I have to let it go and allow it to have a new life for other people. Um, and there's something really special about that. I agree. I I can only imagine I haven't printed a book, but even listening back on my cast, it's, I'm like, oh yeah, I believe what you just said. I, I, that's good. Was that me? That's really good. I'm, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's always good for artists to like revisit their art and, or even I tell my professionals, go back to your resume, remember all the stuff you've done. Uh, Cause it's, it's just affirmations that we're, we're in motion here. Um, is there any part of the book that's your favorite or even after all this time that you go back to, that's like a grounding poem or an angle that's like, this is, this kind of sums it all up, or this is the one thing that pulls me back one piece of out of the many that really stands out. No, I mean, they're all really awesome poems. I'm really proud of all of them for different reasons. People will ask me, well, what's your favorite poem? And I'll say the next one. Yeah. The one I haven't written yet because it's closest to creation, which makes it closest to God. Uh, All of these poems were written starting from a place of truth as I was talking about earlier. And um, even when I get a chance to go back and reperform them or separate myself and just reread them, like experience them, uh, I learn new things or my relationship to my poems change because I've changed. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's really awesome. I don't have one that is my favorite uh, that's in the book and I encourage people to buy it or even listen to it because on the audiobook, you know, we got nominated for an audio book award. And so that's like me actually like reading the poems to you anytime you want. It's like a poetic lullaby. I love it. I love it. And I like that you said the, ne- the next one. I think that's really important for creators that you're kind of always seeking that next thing, like that balance between being present, acknowledging the moment, affirmations, whatever. And then, but also just a little bit hungry for whatever is coming next, just to keep you kind of rolling forward. It's also that the next doesn't have to be the best. Sure. To be the favorite. Sure. You know, it's not like the next poem has all this pressure on it. Like it has to be better than the last poem. That's exhausting. Yeah. Um, but it will be my favorite because yeah. it's the closest to uh, the source. Well, has that been part of the journey where, you know, you start off, you're kind of, you know, out of young or out of college or high school and you're, you, you're just so raw and you're not in the business side of things yet. And then things take off and your passion becomes your business and expectation happens. And d- did that, did you go through that process and did some of those pressures impact your creativity? I've been such a turtle. I mean, you have to understand that, that poetry in general was and still is very complicated for people to monetize. Absolutely. Um, it's a genre that hasn't quite uh, established itself business-wise in popular culture. There's certainly breakthroughs. There's always your Maya Angelou's and your Leonard Cohen's, but they're also like authors and songwriters and 
there's many people from my generation or a little bit before me, you know, Saul Williams. And now you have people like uh, Amanda Gorman, uh, who absolutely captured the imagination of the nation in that moment, which is really beautiful and exciting, not only for her, but for poetry. Um, But uh, no, this was like a long, a long journey. Uh, And so I never felt that type of pressure. And as it continued to increase with my success, it was manageable because it didn't happen overnight. Um, Whether it was me performing on stage with uh, Cirque du Soleil, you know, and being the first poet to ever collaborate with them, or um, I don't know, any of the other laundry list of things that uh, are hiding in my bio, Um, Mm -hmm. it all seemed appropriate to the time. And so I never felt like, oh, I have to lift this weight of other people's expectations now. Um, And I'm really happy about that because that's the fastest way to become a brand ambassador rather than an artist. Mm -hmm. You know, you create a brand and then you just protect that brand rather than continue to evolve. And so then I think you lose your true voice. So if anybody's listening to this, I would encourage you as an artist, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as just a person in the world, continue to follow your enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. Because that's the thing that's going to lead you to the next unexpected surprise in your life. Uh, We live many, many lives in our life if we're lucky. Yeah. That's really, really well said, but really hard. I think I've had these many breakdown breakthroughs of you get in that environment, I get lost into the job or longtime athlete competition or whatever it is. And it's so hard to see for the forest or the trees and you get so lost in some things, but that enthusiasm fire burns out and you kind of have to like break fully down. Something happens and then you come up for air and you're like, oh, and then you recycle. And even in relationships or um, as I said, jobs or any little thing that can get so lost in your own world, it's hard to break through that wall and get back to your truth. Was there one defining moment in your life where you had, you felt swept or lost into something and you had to get back to your truth? Well, there's been many moments that I have rediscovered a new truth. I mean, that hopefully, as I said, will happen forever. Sure. Um, the truth is not static. It's ever changing. Mm-hmm. So you have to continue to check in. And I have re uh, imagined my life over and over and over again. And that's what continues to make it so exciting. I think that if you were looking for a practice to do because you were feeling stuck, Oftentimes, people will think that they have to do something around the area that they feel stuck in to be unstuck. And that's an illusion. Mm -hmm. You can go find a way to do anything that takes you outside of your comfort zone. And if you have a new experience of yourself, you will have a new experience of yourself in every area of your life. So sure, if you're stuck in one area and you can figure out how to do something proactive to be unstuck in that area, do it. But if you can't, go river rafting. You know, get a cat. (laughs) 
Absolutely. Learn a language. I mean, really, like, and I'm sure anybody can say, well, you need money for that, or you need time for that, or you need, but you can find something to yeah. do that gives you a new experience of yourself. And there's no one that's going to do it for you. There's no one that we are waiting on. It's that Obama thing. We are waiting. What is that? We're waiting on ourselves. Like something that's the, the overarching concept of it is you're the person that you're waiting for. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to actually do it. And when you do it, then you go, damn, I did that. And the world looks new. Yeah. And you have a book to show for it. It's it's a truth. I mean, I think it kind of, I don't know the, the exact Obama quote. I will look it up there now because I'm curious, but I think it kind of boils down like all the answers are within and you have to just throw out all those excuses to just somehow come through and make a change. And I would also say, have good humans around you. So they can be like, yo, you good? Like, let's, let's mix this up here. I think For that's sure. a major piece. Well, since you've done, you know, we've got the book, we've got the special, we've got the podcast, you've got Oprah throwing you nods. What is exciting now? What are you, what are you pumped to do next? What's the next great uh, line in the book? Well, uh, I teach these digital and physical workshops and that's been really incredible. I've really enjoyed doing that. So I'm thinking about, uh, translating some of the experiences from these workshops into an actual book. The workshop uh, series is called The New You. And uh, I feel like there's a kernel, you know, a, a breadcrumb trail there that I want to follow. Okay. So I'm interested in doing another book. Uh, I'm interested in continuing the creative consulting with companies that I'm aligned with. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in continuing to do the keynote speeches and the corporate workshops. I'm interested in continuing to do public shows because it allows me to uh, expand my horizons and try new things that I never would in a corporate environment to connect with my fans. I'm excited about my podcast because even in my life, it's impacted me. I find myself asking deeper and more meaningful questions now. Um, and so there's something exciting about continuing to host. As you know, it's a certain... Um, a certain thing that you don't get anywhere yeah. else creatively. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm excited to continue to do uh, videos and also just to see what the next poem is, because I've been writing really, really incredible stuff about where we are in the world and uh, my place in it. And that's never boring. Yeah. Do you think that's come with age? Like, do you, you know, are we, are we good potentially being the parents now and um, parents just don't understand? I mean, I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hope so. That's a good thing. You know, I don't, we think, don't, I don't think it's a bad yet. thing. No, no, we don't have kids yet, but we're, uh, <laughs> we're rounding the corner. Okay. And, uh, I think about that. I mean, I think about having kids as like being a part of, human evolution. Sure. That's the macro. Obviously the micro you're going to love at a capacity that you've never experienced before. And you're going to learn, you know, from the reverse mirror and you're going to get to experience everything again for the first time through your child's eyes. But the macro is that you are literally taking part in human evolution. I hope my kids that 
you know, it's in God's hands. But if they come that they'll look at me and say, you just don't understand. Otherwise, I don't yeah. think I did did good. <laughs> sure. Well, our theme is questioning a better way. So if they're not asking it, it that wasn't necessarily a literal question um, that oh, to me could it. be that could be a boundary. But I'm, no, I'm, I'm certainly glad that you shared. And people ask me all the time. I'm 40 and they, we go down the kids route. I'm like, I had to grew up with three younger brothers. And so that was and I was an entrepreneur. It was never really high on my list. Mm -hmm. And moving forward, if that happens, I'm here for it. Um, but I do have three rescue dogs and even just seeing the world like through their eyes and being part of that journey has been amazing. So it's opened my mind to even adoption or kiddos, but I completely agree. If the kiddos aren't kind of judging you at some point or being like, or you've crossed that parent line evolution is, so there's some blip in the wheel, like something's going on. Uh, it's, and I, it's literally a, um, just to piggyback what you're saying, it's a strategy for them becoming independent in the world. Yeah. It's a necessity. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's understandable. They have to separate themselves from you to truly find their freedom and independence without the reliance on the parents. And they also have to separate themselves from the system yes. so they can see how they want to change it. So I think there's something really beautiful in that. And uh, we hopefully as a older generation have to remember it when when they're yelling at us <laughs> the truth uh, yeah someone reminded both, both of those things even my dog i swear to god knows how to give looks and i was laughing at your uh, live special when you're talking about you were on a date or something and the rescue dog was like interrupting oh, yeah. the romance i'm like oh this is so real if you haven't t tuned in and you're a dog lover just listen to that part at minimum of his live special because it's really hilarious and and the truth um but I agree. And I hope your kids are always like the 2.0 version. So they're like, oh yeah, mom and dad are great. Um, but we're, we're, we're evolved from that. And I think that's where that judgment space can happen. So if they're judging you, that may, maybe means they've evolved past you, which I think is what we want for our children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For the most part, they can't get too smart too fast, but <laughs> who knows? Um, all right. So tell me a little bit about um, Oprah. I'm guessing you get asked this the most because everybody wants to know about her. But how did give me a little, you know, 10,000 of you about that experience, but how that really pivoted your career from from that, you know, accolade in itself? You know, it's like everything else. You You get something that's huge, you know, a platinum record or yeah. um whatever, uh, audio award or whatever it is, you know, and then you think this is going to be it, yeah. you know, and then you wake up the next day and you brush your teeth yeah. and you take a shower and you're like, okay, cool. Well, what are we going to do today? And so I think that it wasn't this pinnacle moment that you might think that it was on a bio. Um, it's also interesting when people read my bio, sometimes I feel a bit separate from all of those accomplishments. And I realized recently that I think it has to do with the fact that maybe I understand all of the thousand heartbreaks that it took to reach one success. And, um, and so I don't have the same relationship with my accomplishments. I'm not so impressed with myself. It was an honor that Oprah included me in that list. It was an absolute pleasure to meet her. We all uh, spent an afternoon together. There was a, a two separate events. And um, it was cool to be in a group of so many other inspiring artists and activists and entrepreneurs. 
-hmm. So that to me, I think was the most special thing was the experience of it. And the Alkalade is, is certainly something that I am proud of and that I, I certainly highlight in my bio. Yes. I, well, that is refreshing to hear. I love that. And I hope that gospel spreads like wildfire because I think that's a very grounding space to acknowledge it. Let it be, let it be what it is. Like from an athlete, I digest that as you win the championship, the next day you wake up and you go back to practice. And it's yeah. kind of the, the glory and the real journey. The gold is in those daily practices and all our break that like ripped you and left you, you know, crying on the floor. And then you get that one gold star in the world just sees the star. Um, but I think that grounding space of not getting too lost in your own awards is also a really beautiful thing. So kudos to that. Um, where I want to be mindful of our time, but I do think we will have a lot of young creatives, young humans listening. And they're just like, just as you said earlier, it's really hard to monetize your angles as a professional poet. What are some good initial steps that you did, um, to get into the game that really at least just kept some funds coming in? Or if you worked a side job, your ability to, you know, kind of do some side hustle and then keep the passion going. Like what's a good advice for a young poet starting out? Yeah, look, I don't know that I had the easiest road to success in terms of I wouldn't really tell anyone to follow my lead. Uh, I was in college for a year, you know, dropped out San Francisco State, came back to L.A. I was in uh, SMC for like, I don't know, six months. I was doing remedial math. I was so bored. I got in a fist fight on campus. And I was like, what am I even doing here? And I, I left and started to pursue art full time. And I got these like side jobs. You know, I was like a night receptionist at a company just so that I could write rhymes. And then I ran the gym at the Westwood Rec Center for years and, you know, would uh, steal money from racquetball when I was completely broke. You know, I, it was horrible. Like I, I there's. There were many, many years where I was just getting by. I would say I didn't make any money really in a way where I was comfortable until probably, you know, 30. Um, so those years were not hard. They were not easy, but they were also uh, part of what made me who I am as an artist. And they almost like fueled my obsession for my art at that time because I had no other plan B. I had no other safety net. And that's what I'm saying. I wouldn't recommend that necessarily to people, but I didn't choose art. Art chose me. And I don't mean that from the standpoint of uh, being overly self-important. I'm actually saying that from a place of humility. I had no other choice. There were many times where I was like, I should fucking quit. And then the next piece would happen or you know, it just kept pouring out of me. And so I kept making time for it. And, uh, and then at a certain point, you kind of look back and realize that all of those hours that you put in, they're incremental and accumulative. And eventually you have a talent and a skill set that other people don't have. And when you have that, it's valuable no matter what genre you're in. And then you just have to be creative in terms of finding ways to expand your network and your circle so that you can plug your talent into those other spaces. Um, and that's what I did. And what's really great about that for me now is I'm never bored because every single day is an adventure. Yeah. 
And I try to have that philosophy in general so that every day I'm Indiana Jones, even when I'm in CVS. But every day is an adventure because I'm not doing the same things creatively. And so one of the things that I do winds up bouncing off of the other. And then I have a new experience in this and I have a, 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 a new angle to come back to this other thing with. And so uh, I think all uh, a rising tide lifts all ships, you know? There you go. I think if you look back and you can see how all these random things like being at CVS or working at um, the racquetball, whatever, whatever you say, like all these little experiences, because like you, I had some of those jobs where I'm like a pool waitress at a country club or who knows. And and there was but then I met like the next big client. And it was so funny how just when I in retrospect, you're like, oh, and the skill sets that I gained from whatever it was, you just didn't know. And it all winds up at the table with Oprah. So, you know, it's, I think suggested or not, I think a lot of creatives will be able to relate to that and say, oh good, okay, my life's right on time. Things are in motion. I'm gonna keep the faith and keep to my art and keep creating. You have to keep the faith. You know, faith is a choice as yeah. well. You have to choose to have faith and um, you have to choose to do the work. And if you do both of those things, uh, the universe will eventually open up for you. There you go. All the shared human experiences. I love it. We could go on, um, but I do want to be sensitive of your time and energy. Where where do we find you? You want to drop the IG? I'll, of course, list everything, but audibly, do you want to share where, where we find you? Yeah, I'm easy to find. I mean, you can go on Instagram. It's at INQLife, INQLife. You can go on my website, which is IN-Q.com. Uh, you can get the book Inquire Within, you can get the audio book of Inquire Within, or you can look up the podcast and that's on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and that's Inquire Within uh, as well. You can also join the next digital workshop that we're doing. You can check out the Amazon special. There's lots of ways to engage in, with me. You can uh, check out videos, but more than anything else, uh, just reach out to me and say hello. I really love uh, connecting with people and hearing how they're impacted by the work. I love it. I love the energy. I love the mission. I love the heart. Uh, I, I really appreciate the exposure around poetry and um, that creative space for, for more poet, poets to come in and, and share their gospel with the world. I will be sure if I meet Will Smith first to tell him that you said hello and uh, we'll give him Please. a high five for his, for his original creations. But I appreciate the time and energy. I hope our paths cross down the road and um, I can't wait to see what you have going on next. Thank you, Ditto. Appreciate yes. you. NQ, we will chat soon. All right. Thank you so much. What if Martin Luther King Jr. was into video games? What if Gandhi liked to Netflix and chill? What if Einstein was on Prozac? What if Buddha was too stressed to sit still? What if Mother Teresa counted likes instead of counting hugs? What if Cleopatra was a supermodel who spent her nights in clubs? What if Socrates was a contestant on The Bachelorette? What if Rumi was in advertising? Would I buy his shit? What if Rosa Parks missed the bus but couldn't take a lift? What if Bob Marley popped barbiturates instead of puffing spliffs? What if TMZ had followed JFK? What if Lincoln was a backup center for the NBA? 
What if John Lennon sang Imagine on American Idol? Would they want to add a beat, get a feature, change the title? What if Muhammad Ali had a reality show? What if I got my house painted by Picasso or Van Gogh? What if Churchill had a podcast or Disney liked to scroll? What if Shakespeare drove an Uber would thou knowest I was home? What if Dolly was a DJ or Tupac didn't rap? What if Malcolm was your ex or Mandela made the latest app? What if Che Guevara had a clothing line or Frida Carlo made the logos for their marketing team? What if Jane Austen wrote scripts for shitty sitcoms or Steve Jobs did social media targeting for all your moms? What if Bruce Lee taught Zumba, not Jeet Kune Do? What if he didn't ever do what he was destined to do? What if our heroes aren't demigods to look up to? What if our heroes are our heroes because they're just like me and you? What if I just sit inside this room and wait to die? What if I try to change the world and fail? At least I tried. I could numb myself a hundred ways to hypnotize my soul. So much unfulfilled potential, you would think it was my goal. What are you doing with your time? Yours and mine. What if our next genius artist, activist, or inventor grows up to want to be an Instagram influencer? What are you doing with your time? Yours and mine. You don't want to have regrets for all the years you've left behind. And every year that passes, someone's coming up behind. They're here to take our place in a never-ending line. So what's your higher purpose? And is it worth your grind? It's going to take some hard work. You have to burn before you shine. Are your thoughts and your dreams and your actions all aligned? What are you doing with your Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.